Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm just getting the uh, sticks trimmed and ready for uh, supporting both the garden peas and one or two uh, wigwams of sweet peas. I like to gather up a few uh, elm branches in the winter whilst they're uh, leafless and just at this time now sharpen the ends so they push into the soil a little bit easier. And the uh, flat fanned shape of uh, elm particularly makes very good pea sticks uh, but I'll take a break and uh, get on with uh, this week's podcast there is no better of plants of flower power forms of the shrubby we thank our sponsors this week Hayloft Plants Limited of Pershaw, Worcestershire Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries along the way. While some lucky people have had uh, some rain, here in Essex it remains very dry. Oh, and the northeast wind, bitterly cold. We've had one night, I think, without frost in the whole of April. And some plants are showing the sign. I mean, aquilegia in the flower borders has that lovely, soft, sort of large maidenhair fern-like foliage, scorched white by frost, and Alstroemeria Indian summer new growth cut to the ground. You know, they will recover, but start to flower several weeks later as a result. Her cold winds have uh, scorched some of the thinner petals on a few of the pansies, in our uh, Royal Horticultural Society Garden Hard Hall trial. But overall, this trial is uh, building a very colourful carpet, which is prompting much favourable comment. We're asking visitors to vote on their favourite, and there's uh, 277 different cultivars from uh, 11 leading breeders around the world, and, and it's quite testing to choose just one from those 200 and. Uh, 77 different kinds. Uh, it's interesting to think that this weekend will be just a fortnight away from what would have been the start of London's Chelsea Flower Show week. We'll be starting to construct our May Chelsea display for the second year in the Floral Fantasia area this weekend. Uh, the only Chelsea exhibitor, I believe, to go ahead and stage our display in a public place for visitors to see over the next three or more weeks. Uh, Hardy Cottage Plants down in Hampshire, they're building their garden and actually going to leave it in place, I think. And the last I heard, 
because of social distancing, you needed to book tickets for a, a visit to their particular display. Uh, just arrived at Hyde Hall are all 18 different cultivars of Sinetti just coming into flower. They're a close relative of Cineraria, but uh, cutting raised and the Sinetti are very useful to fill the gap between all those spring flowering bulbs that flower really up until early May. But once they're over, there's a bit of a gap before all the summer flowers take over and uh, Sinetti are just the job to fill that gap. Actually, if you get one and you put it in a largish pot, what I mean by large, probably five or seven and a half litre, and then regularly deadhead, they will just keep on flowering month after month, well into the summer. They're very uh, easy, colourful, and they should be more popular. We'll just have to see what visitors think of them at uh, Hyde Hall. Now, while most of us have greenhouses and cold frames bursting at the seams with plants, it's essential to check the forecast every night before you set about uh, planting them out. They do expect to start planting tomatoes at uh, Hyde Hall in the conservatory in the global veg garden, but of course they have a little heat to keep out uh, frost should the temperatures drop again at night. An electric fan heater with thermostatic control is invaluable to protect uh, against night frost. It's also useful to give air movement to prevent uh, soft rot diseases. But you need to remember that for every 5 degree raise in temperature, it doubles the heating cost. And so uh, if you're careless setting the thermostat, it can really hit your electric bill. If you are using an electric fan heater, well then set it, you know, to quite a modest temperature, 10 or 8 degrees centigrade perhaps, and make sure some polythene sheeting is used to prevent drafts around the doors. What's new this week? Well, just received uh, is the hardback book, The Professional Gardener's Survival Manual, written and published by Alan Sargent. He's a very experienced uh, landscaper and garden maintenance man. Now, quite a number of people have uh, recently started up in uh, garden care and garden maintenance services, and I think they would find this publication very helpful in avoiding quite a number of perils and pitfalls in this occupation. You need to make sure that uh, you do a good deal uh, and are pretty sure you're going to get uh, paid for the work you do. On a most fantastic sunny morning, blue skies and uh, not the first one. Last weekend was just the same. I have uh, once again uh, Chris Baines uh, and we're going to speak, Chris, about the Dawn Chorus. Now, I have to tell you, it's a little time since I stirred myself that early in the morning to hear the Dawn Chorus. When recording the Chelsea Flower Show and having to get up at hours four, I used to hear it then. Can you stir me from my slumbers and give me reason to get up? Well, well of course, the earlier in the spring you, you listen to the Dawn Chorus, the later in the morning it starts. So if you were listening a month or so ago, six o'clock would have done you. But now it's about five o'clock, I guess. It is here anyway, in, up in uh, the Midlands. Um, and this particular time of the year is probably 
at its best because you've got all of the resident birds, the ones that everybody's familiar with, the blackbirds, the robins, the blue tits, the great tits, but you've also had this wave of immigrants, if you like, flying in mostly from northern Spain or, um, well, via northern Spain from Africa. Uh, and so you've got all the warblers beginning to join in. So there's a whole new section of the orchestra has arrived. So the, the variety of birdsong is, is fantastic at the moment. And I think one of the wonderful things about it is that it's, it's as good, in, if, if not better, in the urban uh, environment as it is in much of the wider countryside because the birds that sing the best are generally woodland birds. If you're a bird of, of the, the open spaces, then you don't really need to sing very loudly. But in the woodland, if you're going to establish your territory and let everybody know you're there, you've got to be able to sing impressively. And much of mature suburbia, and, and certainly the area I, I live in here, which is a green bit of the inner city, is really an urban forest. And so as far as the birds are concerned, they're woodland birds, and the bird song is fantastic and at that time in the morning of course there's not much traffic in the background noise either so wherever you are you can listen to the dawn chorus and can you identify the various instruments in your orchestra <laughs> i mean i heard recently much to my surprise that the hen cuckoo has a quite different sound to the male how can I go through life not knowing that? <laughs> well, it doesn't so much matter, Peter, because you're not a cuckoo, so therefore it's not so important to you. <laughs> but it's pretty important to the male cuckoos to know that they're hearing a female somewhere. Um, well, most of the bird song that you hear is the male birds. They're doing two things, really. They're shouting out loud to say, look how big and brave I am, and establishing their territory. But they're also trying to impress the females. And that's that's the role of, of the bird song generally. Um, and they, you know, make a fantastic job, generally speaking, of impressing. And if you listen very carefully, um, some of the songs are very easy to recognise. So The Great Tit is a, is a really easy one. This is the one that sounds like it's saying, teacher, 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 teacher. Uh, it's a very repetitive thing. And you will almost certainly have one or two or maybe even three territories around your house. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear one of them going, teacher, teacher, teacher. And then you hear another one that manages to get four repeats and perhaps another one that has five repeats. And so even with that very simple call, they're able to demonstrate, you know, that they're cock of the north, if you like, or the top bird in, in the neighbourhood. Um, and for other birds, like blackbirds, um, it's much more, seems to be, about uh, the complexity of their song. So the, the greater the vocabulary, if you like, the wider the range of, of tunes they can play, the more impressive they are from the, from the female's point of view. Uh, and the reason that females are looking for the best males is because they need a, a partner that's going to be able to forage effectively for food and to protect the territory. So it's, it's, although we enjoy it as a wonderful sound, it's actually very functional. That's the way that the whole of the landscape's divided up by the birds into territories they need to raise their young, build their nest and, uh, and protect one another. Now, Chris, you, you have a special day when you recommend people listen, I believe. Uh, yes, international, what's now known as International Dawn Chorus Day is, is the first Sunday in May. 
it, it all started on my 40th birthday, so a very, very long time ago. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was doing a lot of TV. I just um, made a, a programme called Blue Tits and Bumblebees about converting my garden for wildlife and taking a year over filming it. So it was quite well known, and I was very involved with nature conservation in towns and cities. And my birthday was, happened to be on a Sunday, um, and so I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a rather special 40th birthday. I'll, um, I'll have it in the garden at four in the morning. And let's see which of my friends are real friends <laughs> when I send them the invitation. You know, champagne with me on my birthday. Oh, but by the way, you need to be there by about four o'clock. And a few people, reasonably local people, came. But then I thought, actually, what would be really nice is if the people who either wouldn't come or couldn't come or were somewhere else in, in the world knew that we were listening to the Dawn Chorus and they could listen to it as well. And so just through that very simple device, really, of, of sharing in something over a long distance, we were able to actually get together. And it really struck a chord with, with quite a few people. So the following year, I decided this was too good an idea to waste. And I'm a great believer in self-fulfilling prophecies. And I, so I rang the Today programme on Radio 4 and I said, you may not know this, but uh, the first Sunday in May is International Dawn Chorus Day. And of course, you know as well as I do that if, if the Today programme on Radio 4 says it is, it is. So they made this, this announcement and I managed to get a, a bunch of people, David Attenborough, David Bellamy, a few, quite a few other people that I was familiar with or working with, to pledge to get up. Now, I don't know whether they did or they didn't, but it, it was the magic touch, really, because knowing that you were sharing the Dawn Chorus with David Bellamy or David Attenborough at four in the morning just add, adds something special. And it grew, and year after year it got bigger and bigger. And then it really did become international. And I, in the nature of the work I was doing, I met people from around the world, I suppose, and talked about this. And the first people to really pick up on it were um, some wildlife photographers from Denver in, in Colorado. And they organised for three quite large groups of, of people with disabilities who would not normally get out very easily to be collected, taken to the local park or three different local parks in time for the dawn chorus. So there was something particularly satisfying about that, that this was people who would not normally get out to listen to nature. And this was a reason for doing it. And over the years, I've listened to the Dawn Chorus on Dawn Chorus Day, wherever I've been. And that's been very varied. So one year I was, I was on a, a study tour in Israel with a whole group of naturalists from around the world. And I kind of dropped the hint that the following morning I was going to get up at four in the morning or whenever it was there. Um, and we went out, we walked out into the Golan Heights and <laughs> listened to the dawn chorus in the Golan Heights that morning. And I'm quite sure that none of those people have ever forgotten that. There's something really magical about it, wherever you are. And most recently, over the last, well, probably 10 or 15 years now, the Irish radio station, uh, RTE, has done something absolutely wonderful. They um, have a, a live radio programme which starts at midnight and it begins in India and they have about 
15 or 20 ornithologists lined up along the line of the rising sun. So this program begins with the bird song in India and it travels right the way through Asia and Europe and finishes up, surprise, surprise, in Dublin, which is where their office is in a park in Dublin. And it lasts for about six hours, six or seven hours, I suppose. And with each new country, you hear a slight variation on the bird song that you're listening to, and you have a different local voice that's telling you what they're listening to. And that magical sense of the sun travelling across the earth and the birds waking up, I just think is one of nature's magical things, really. And they've done that now for many years. Unfortunately, with COVID last year, they couldn't organise it. And, and again, this year, it's not been organised. But each year I've been a part of it. So along with uh, with Delhi and, and uh, Tel Aviv and Athens, Wolverhampton is there <laughs> in the list of international centres. Uh, and they come to me and listen to me if I'm here. Um, and a couple of years ago, when it was the centenary of the end of the First World War, and, and uh, I went to Flanders to, to for, for various reasons, but to look at the, the, the war graves and things. And I recorded, I, I contributed to the programme from Flanders Field on that morning, on that Sunday morning. And if you read about the First World War, one of the things that kept people going was just that, dawn chorus when they were in the trenches and the sound of the bird song and partly because it was it meant that they'd survived another night but it also meant that life was about to become hell again for another few hours so the dawn chorus there was very special to those men a hundred years ago so one way or the other i've i've just had a fantastic set of opportunities to enjoy this phenomenon that's an unbelievable story one phone call to the Today programme and you've linked people around the world. And Until I sit here today, I hadn't thought about a dawn chorus in India. So is there a dawn chorus everywhere at dawn? Um, well, yes, there is. The nearer you get to the equator, of course, the, the less the seasons change. And so our dawn chorus is a very seasonal thing. It's a spring thing because our birds nest in the spring. But... Uh, one of the one of the great opportunities I had was to make a, a program for Radio Four called "Why Wildlife Sings," <laughs> and this was about whales and all kinds of things. But we went to Cornell University in in New York State, which is where a lot of the animal behaviour specialists study, and we went out into a, a woodland in uh, in North New York State, and there the the loudest part of their dawn chorus is actually tree frogs. So it's not birds at all, it's tree frogs. Uh, and if you go to southern India, it's the gibbons that are really waking up with the sunrise and singing. So as it happens with us, it's ex pretty well exclusively birds. But in other parts of the world, other kinds of wildlife will, will also be singing to start the day. Um, and certainly right the way across the, the Northern Hemisphere at this time of year, there are birds waking up and singing. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's just a fantastic free access to nature, which 
you don't even need to get out of bed, to be honest. I mean, if you open the window, you can lie there. In, in my case, I can certainly hear there's a mizzle thrush across the road that sings relentlessly. And then eventually the mizzle thrush wakes up the the um, the wood pigeons and then the whole thing starts to deteriorate because the wood pigeons dominate everything. Um, and I can hear all of that from, from my bed. So, you know, it's uh, it's there on the doorstep for people. And so what happens this year then? Will it just be a continuation of the same? Will you be at home? I'll, I'll be at home. And uh, the wildlife trusts in this country organise or, or they, they act as a kind of post box for local events. And, and in a normal year, certainly, now you find that the National Trust, for instance, organise Dawn Chorus Day walks on their properties. A lot of the wildlife trusts around the country will have a Dawn Chorus Day uh, event. And so there's lots and lots happening. Obviously, that's restricted in the present circumstances. But the magical thing about it is you don't need to join anybody else. You don't need to know the names of what you're listening to. One of the things I did a very long time ago was I, I worked in, um, in Luton, and my, one of my jobs was to try and uh, engage the population of Luton and to, to improve the image of Luton, which I always say was one of the easiest jobs in the world, really, because actually improving the image of Luton 30-odd years ago <laughs> is not difficult. <laughs> but one of the things we did was we organised on Dawn Chorus Day for people to just listen to the Dawn Chorus wherever they were in the town and just as they heard a different song, just count them off on their fingers. So it, very often it begins with a robin and then there'll be perhaps a blackbird and then a blue tit and a great tit and, and so on. But you don't need to know what they are. What I got people to do was just count each time a completely new song appeared in the, in the orchestra, if you like. And then they rang in with their postcode and the number of different birds they heard. And we mapped that. In many ways, one of the nicest ways to listen to the Dawn Chorus, I think, is just to close your eyes and just listen, just hear these different birds. And you begin to hear the different kinds of birds, and then you'll hear a repeat from a different part of your, your head map, if you like. And that's just one great tit shouting out the odds to another great tit somewhere else in the territory. So... Not you don't need to know what these things are nowadays. Of course, there are apps you can you can put on your phone that will identify what you're listening to. But you know, I'm I'm particularly proud of of the fact that this is just a moment of innocence. Really, it's such a simple thing, and so I I'd prefer not to clutter it up with technology, not to have people shouting out to you, well, there's a robin and there's a blue tit and there's a great... Just listen, you know, just for one 20 minutes in the, in the year, listen to the birds and, uh, and celebrate in your head, if you like. Uh, Chris, I think I might take your advice and I think I might set my alarm on May the 1st for... Uh, could we make it half past four rather than four? <laughs> yes. Yes, if, if you're doing it locally, then you can leave it a bit later. You, what you should do is have a dummy run the day before, Peter, so you know exactly when they start singing, but that's a bit cruel. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to go on to say that, that I'd have a bottle of champagne close by mm -hmm. and I would take the cork out of the champagne and toast your very good health. Presumably the 1st of May is not your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, the 4th of May is my birthday, so that's the 4th of May. May the well, 4th. Yes, perhaps I should make it on the... I haven't got my diary here. 
I'm have two c- bottles. Have two bottles. <laughs> <laughs> one on the Sunday and one on my birthday. Well, no, I think I think a full bottle would last me the four days. <laughs> a nice glass every morning. <laughs> Good idea. Al- Good idea. I always remember a lady called Christina Foyle of Foyle Bookshops who had a glass of champagne every morning for breakfast and lived to be a very great age. And I thought that was a very good lead to follow. It beats eating an onion every day or (laughs) whatever the other various uh, treatments are. I think a bottle of champagne a day probably beats the rest, yeah. But I can't (laughs) guarantee to... uh, listen to the dawn chorus every day but, but i think that we should all be uh, enthusiastically following your lead so it's an amazing story and, and what a wonderful stroke of luck that you had that idea for your birthday yeah well yes i mean uh, i mean it's one of the things that's given me huge pleasure over the years and uh, and continues to do and if we have weather like this uh, at the beginning of May, this this glorious blue sky, sunny weather, then the bird song will be just fantastic. I think. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you very much, and good luck. Happy birthday on the fourth. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. It's great to see you. Bye. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My tailpiece this week from the Grumpy Gardener blog, who tells me there are on average 20 slugs in a cubic meter of soil and one slug can have up to 27,000 teeth. <laughs> it's not a surprise sometimes my cabbage leaves look a bit shredded if they got that many teeth. Now, Graham is recommending Nemeslug to control uh, this pest. Nemeslug is a tiny soil-borne worm that lives in damp soil, seeks out slugs and uh, kills them. The tricky bit is keeping soil moist so these nematodes can swim about in soil moisture. Uh, I've uh, found them uh, quite difficult to use in heavy clay soil, but if you've improved it, got plenty of organic matter so that uh, there's a reasonable structure to the soil, then uh, this is the biological safe way to reduce the slug populations. Another way, actually, is to just put a piece of black plastic or a black plastic pot on the ground. Uh, if that's a bit moist underneath, then the slugs go there uh, in the daytime. They're nocturnal, and so they're looking for somewhere dark and damp to spend the day. 
Uh, you can also put a cabbage or brassica leaf on the ground and it's amazing how the slugs will gather up onto those leaves and of course you can then uh, reduce their numbers. Wish you a very active uh, bank holiday weekend. Uh, I hope to get a lot of jobs done and with a bit of luck, you will too. Hope to join you next week. Goodbye. We thank our sponsors this week, Hayloft Plants Limited, Pershaw, Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course, to you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.